from the Gospel of Luke. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. We're continuing this week in the Gospel of Luke. And one way to kind of look at the Gospel of Luke, if you're going to break it down, is that the first half of the book of Luke is talking about who Jesus is, who is this person that we're to follow. And the second half of the Gospel of Luke is, you know, so what do we do about it? How should a Christian live? And it's an important question, right? It's something that we face every single day. How should a Christian live? And so last week, we talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember the lawyer who was trying to justify himself, and he asked Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Trying to limit that command. This week, we're going to look at the first and great commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. That's a trick question because it's said two different ways, by the way. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord your God with your whole being. So what does that mean? Well, let's look to our text that we just read and try to get some clues as to what it looks like to love God with your whole being. Uh, if, you, if you got your bulletins, you can look back with me at Luke chapter 10, and we're going to start at verse 38 and just look at verse 39 briefly. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. Now, Jesus has been traveling in the Gospel of Luke from Galilee, and, and he's on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. He's got a, he's got a mission in mind. He's going somewhere. They entered a village of Bethany, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now what Mary was doing here, sitting at the Lord's feet, was something that all of Jesus' disciples would have been doing. You see, in those days, if a rabbi was teaching, it was common for you to gather around and sit at his feet. And Mary would have been breaking a social custom by doing this because in those days, only men could sit at the feet of a rabbi, but here Jesus was allowing Mary to sit at his feet. But then look at what it says in verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, I want you to picture this scene with me, okay? Um, this isn't just a casual dinner party. This isn't just having your neighbors over for a quick meal. This is a huge event. At this point, Jesus had already established himself as a celebrity teacher, and he's going into this small village, and you can imagine there's not a whole lot of notice, and any party with Jesus is already a big party because he's got 12 guys that go with him everywhere that he goes. And you have to remember, this is pre-Netflix, pre-internet, pre-TV, right? There wasn't much to do at night, and so if somebody was having a dinner party, the entire village, the entire town was going to want to be involved in this. I mean, it's a huge event. I mean, imagine, you know, having kind of a last-minute rehearsal dinner or, or wedding party planning that you're doing, right? And you're just trying to scramble it all together. And not only that, but back then, hospitality was even more of an issue than it is today. Hospitality was a huge deal. In fact, your, your whole reputation, your sense of worth and self was tied in how you treat your neighbor. And there were all sorts of commands in the Old Testament relating to hospitality. I mean, it was, it was not only a, a social custom, but a, but a, moral, uh, a moral issue of, of how hospitable you were. You had to run around to make sure all of your guest drinks were full and, you know, and they had food available to them and that nobody was making too much of a mess. And so this is a huge thing that's happening. So Jesus is present and teaching, and Mary is sitting there along with the disciples just soaking it all in. 
But Martha's running around like a crazy person to make sure everything goes. And it's not like, you know, she wouldn't enjoy to get off of her feet for a second and be with Jesus, but there's work to be done and someone has to do it. Now that we've illustrated what's happening, did all of the Marthas kind of, your, your anxiety spiked up a little bit, right? All of the Marthas in this room, you're like, whoa. And, and, and I know, you know if you're a Martha because you immediately got frustrated with Mary, didn't you? All of you Marthas, you're just like, that Mary, right? I mean, you know who you are. You're a little ticked at Mary. And I'd be willing to bet, in fact, if we broaden the definition a little bit, we have even more Marthas in this room than we realize because some of us might not be Marthas at home, right? Some of us might not be Marthas at home and making sure everything's together and, and set and ready. Some of us might be Marthas at work. Is there anybody here who... Uh, during your career has made it a habit of staying late at work because there's always one more thing to do. Or as soon as you finish dinner, maybe you open up your laptop and you get on your emails. Anybody carry your work with you when you leave town? Anybody? Yeah, me too. Uh, does anybody, and I'm, I'm going to hit a little harder on this, does anybody struggle with anxiety as a regular feeling at the end of the day that you have not accomplished enough? Anybody face that issue at the end of the day, did I accomplish enough? Maybe tying your own worth and value a little too closely to the checklist that you have in front of you. There was a Harvard, Harvard uh, Business Review article uh, in February of 2018, and it was entitled this, if you're so successful, why are you still working 70 hours a week? Well, that's a good question. And the article went on to say this. I'm just going to give you a few excerpts because it's a long article. Uh, elite professional organizations, hear this, deliberately set out to identify and recruit what they call insecure overachievers. That's what they use behind closed doors when they're trying to find people to work for them, but looking for young, insecure overachievers. And, and these, this is how they're described. They're exceptionally capable and fiercely ambitious, yet they're driven by a profound sense of their own inadequacy. And then the article goes on to speculate, it might be because in childhood they experienced financial or physical deprivation. It might be because they believed that their parents, you know, they thought that approval and value was performing well, and, and they kind of internalized that. But, but this is who they're looking to recruit. And, and a chair of a consulting firm said, my theory is that the best client relationship builders in our firm are insecure. They're so bent on making their clients feel good about them that they work overtime to make sure that that happens. Huh. You see, if you're, if you're in this room, if you're, if you're even an American, you likely have a little bit of Martha in you. I would be willing to bet that a lot of us, depending on our sphere of where we're invested in, depending on where we found our value at home, with children, at work, whatever that is, that there's a little bit of Martha in us. Americans are hardworking people. We work 137 hours more, more per year than the Japanese, 260 hours uh, per year more than the British, and 499 hours more per year than French workers. Not a surprise, but still... Still, and you know, it's interesting since, sorry, sorry, French people, uh, but, but it's interesting. Since 1950, the average worker's productivity has gone up 400%, and yet our working hours remain fairly consistent. 
In fact, in some spheres, that just drives us to work harder because we can see how much more we're able to get done. Now, hear me when I say this, all right? I'm not advocating for four-month vacations. I'm not advocating for, you know, three-day work weeks. But, but I am saying let's not get so wrapped up in tying our worth and identity and value into what we, uh, what we produce, into what our output is, into how many things we check off a list. I mean, historically, when the church talks about the primary Christian virtues, this isn't what we say. We don't say, well, it's, you know, faith, hope, charity, fortitude, efficiency, productivity, worldly success, temperance, and prudence, right? I mean, is that the list? No, there's a few things in there that we snuck in. Again, these aren't bad things, but they're not ultimate things. They're not bad things. I mean, if you read Proverbs, it says to work hard. If you read 1 Timothy 6, it says if you don't work, you don't eat, right? I mean, these are not bad things, but they're not ultimate things. They're not the things that you build your entire life and self and sense of worth around. There's a reason that God gave us the Sabbath as one of the Ten Commandments, a day of rest and time with the Lord, because He knew our hearts and He knew that half of us would work ourselves to death if He didn't mandate a day off. They didn't mandate a time to put the Lord first. So let's look back at our passage beginning at verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now this part you can tell that Martha is stressed to the point of losing her mind because she's, she's a grown woman tattling on her sister and, and mind you, Jesus is, is she's not pulling him aside and saying, Jesus, can you do this? She's interrupting the entire dinner party, and she's commanding Jesus to get her sister to help her. The language in the Greek is not, it's not a simple supplication. It's not like a nice request. This is a forceful thing. And there's actually a play on words here in the Aramaic, because the Aramaic is the language they would have been speaking. Martha's name is the female version of Lord. And so how it reads in, in the male version of Lord is Mar. So how it reads is, Lord Martha is commanding Lord Jesus to get Mary to work. Do you not care that she's left me to serve her alone? Tell her then to help me. There's a sharpness in her language that puts a clear expectation on Jesus that demands that he will comply. Jesus, get on board with my priorities. Jesus, get on board with my priorities. Jesus, you might be missing the picture here, but there's work that has to be done now, so get on board. And there's a huge contrast between Martha and Mary, and it couldn't be clear. You see, Martha is telling Jesus what he must say, but Mary is listening to what Jesus wishes to say. Martha is saying, God, this is important, and this is what needs to happen, so get on board or get out of the way. Now, before we beat up Martha anymore, um, because that's, that's pretty unfair, uh, I have to ask you, let's get a little introspective. I've got to ask you, how well do your daily priorities align with God? How well do your daily priorities align with God? Do you even know? Is that a question that you have stopped to ask yourself? Is that a question that you have stopped to ask Him? Have you prioritized regularly sitting at the feet of Jesus and spending time in prayer and in His Word, or are you so busy running around that you don't even stop to consider that the God of the universe might have a different plan for you today? You might have different priorities, different things that He wants you engaged in. 
I mean, maybe when you picked up your dry cleaning this week, the point wasn't the dry cleaning, but the person behind the counter who needed a kind word or a prayer. Maybe that's why you were meant to go there. Have you considered it? You see, I, I, I am fully convinced that if we take the time to stop and ask God what he would show us, what he would have us do, that he will put people and things in our path to accomplish. And this isn't to say you don't approach life without some sort of plan or without some sort of objective, but it is saying that you put God and his ordering of your priorities first. I mean, Psalm 1611, I think, puts this really well. It says, you make shown the path of life. You make shown the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. I mean, and if in God's presence there is fullness of joy, you kind of have to wonder if all of the things that you're doing that rob and, and choke out your joy and steal you of the presence of the Lord are really the right things to be doing. I mean, should we really be letting our cares and anxieties be tyrannical over us? At what point does our work start working us? Let's look back at our text uh, Lord, do you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Two chapters earlier, Jesus was telling a famous parable, the parable of the sower. You're familiar with that, right? A man was spreading seed, and some landed on the path and didn't grow, and some uh, landed in rocky soil, and that didn't work out well either. Uh, and then some of it landed among the thorns. And then what happened? The thorns came up, and it choked it out, right? It choked out the plants. And, and so the disciples are a little perplexed about this parable, so they asked Jesus to explain this to them, and this is what Jesus says. He says, you know, the seeds that are being sown are the Word of God, and those that land among the thorns are those who hear the Word of God, but they lose it because of the cares and concerns of this world. Is that you? Has that been you? I've experienced that. I mean, how many times even here when you're in the presence of the Lord surrounded by the body of Christ do your cares and concerns and your daily obligations and your checklist start to kind of take over? Happens to us too, right? I mean, that's, that, that's, that's a great way. And in fact, Satan, I mean, uh, Jesus says that it's Nate, Satan that snatches people away from God in those moments. I mean, how many stray thoughts enter your mind during Sunday worship? It, it's, it's incredibly difficult for us. I, and so Jesus answers Martha gently, and this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, Martha, Martha. And you can tell, again, she's lost her mind because he's got to say her name twice to, to help her get a grip. He says, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, again, if you're like me, your inner Martha is screaming at this point, right? But there are things that have to be done, right? Like, but there are things that have to be accomplished. I mean, and, and so I want you to hear me say this very clearly. It's not that everything else is bad or unhelpful, right? It's not that work is bad. It's not that chores are bad. It's not that they don't need doing. It's not that the bills don't need to be paid and mouths need to be fed, right? I mean, you kind of want to deal with that laundry before it gets to a certain point. Would you, know, would you all agree with me? It's not that things are bad or unhelpful. So if you're, if you're here right now and you're the other spouse, if you're the type B 
hands-off personality, right, that, that is kind of elbowing your partner to cool down, um, you're not off the hook, right? Jesus is not advocating for passivity. But, I mean, he isn't commending Mary. It's not like Mary is sitting on the couch having a cold one while Martha's going around and doing all the work, right? That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is that the good portion that Mary has chosen, Jesus says Mary chose the good portion. The good portion that Mary has chosen isn't an easy life or a passive life. It's him. It's him. That's the good portion. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. I mean, here's the reality. There's not a single thing that you own that won't turn to dust. There's not a single accomplishment, not a single worldly or earthly accomplishment or achievement that you'll make that won't be lost to the sands of time. But you know what? When this entire world ends, he will still be there. He will still be there. And the time that you spend in his presence, in the word of God and in prayer, and the relationship that you're building is one that cannot be taken away. There is no wasted minute in prayer. That's time you cannot lose. It cannot be taken away from you. So my encouragement to you this morning is to seek first the kingdom of God. Let that time with the Lord shape the trajectory of your life and color your interactions. Make sure that you and he are on the same page and put yourself before the feet of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know our hearts are turned towards finding our value and our worth in anything that we can accomplish and anything that we can maintain and keep under our control, I pray that you would direct and dispose our hearts to come before you, to spend that time in the shadow of your presence, to let you be the one that directs our activity, to let you be the one that shapes and guides us, to put us at your feet. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.